0: Hello everyone and welcome to this new session of Memcast. I have Dr. Amin Jabbar with me today, one of the rheumatology registrars here in these Midlands, and we're going to speak about giant cell arthritis. Hello, Amin. Hello, hi. So GCA is one of the major topics in rheumatology and also in general medicine. Would you mind going through it with us? Going through the definition, diagnosis, and management? Yeah, absolutely. So, what is GCA? It's a vasculitis. What does vasculitis mean? Well, vasculitis means there is inflammation of the blood vessels, and GCA is classified as a large vessel vasculitis. Especially, it affects the aorta and the branches of the proximal aorta, including the extracranial branches of the external carotid artery, such as the temporal artery. Now, this condition is often referred to as temporal arteritis, but this term is less accurate than GCA. Temporal arthritis was a term that used to be used because this is the site where the biopsy is taken, but we will discuss the biopsy later. The thing to know is that not everyone with this condition has involvement of the temporal artery, and it's not needed for diagnosis. In fact, other vasculitides, such as anchovasculitis, can affect the temporal artery. GCA is more accurate because it's a histological term. It refers to the appearance of the artery under biopsy. There's granulomatous inflammation. And histiocytes appear as giant cells. So, this is the most accurate term. It's often helpful when discussing GCA to also talk about PMR or polymyelgia rheumatica. PMR is an inflammatory condition characterized by aching and stiffness in the shoulder and hip girdles. Somewhere between 40 and 60 percent of patients with GCA have symptoms of PMR. And around 20% of patients with PMR will have evidence of GCA as well. So there's a strong overlap between these conditions. Both disorders almost exclusively occur in patients over the age of 50. And increasing age is the biggest risk factor. In fact, the peak age is around 70 to 79 years old. It's most prevalent in those of northern European descent, especially in the Scandinavian countries. The age-adjusted annual incidence in the UK is somewhere between 18 to 22 per 100,000. So it is a common condition. The way to define it is it's a systemic inflammatory condition with a very marked response to steroid therapy. That is the typical feature of both PMR and GCA. Although in GCA, higher doses of steroids are needed. Somewhere between 12.5 and 25 milligrams of prednisolone is needed in PMR, whereas between 40 and 60 milligrams is needed in GCA. Both conditions generally require treatment for around 12 to 24 months, and around half of the patients in both groups will have a chronic relapsing course and may require steroids for several years, sometimes even lifelong. The treatment duration is generally longer, though, in GCA than in PMR. So when you're taking a history from these conditions, what kind of things should you ask about? Well, the first question in GCA, you you want to ask about headache. There's many different ways the headache can manifest, but most typically it's a unilateral temporal headache, but it can be diffuse and bilateral. Something very important to ascertain from the patient is, is this a new headache? Because if the patient tells you they've been having recurrent headaches for many months or years, or if if the headache has just been continuous for a very long time, that makes you think this is unlikely to be GCA. Something that goes along very commonly is scalp pain or scalp tenderness. This can be diffuse or localised. And one way to find that out from the patient is you can ask them, do you have pain when brushing your hair, for example? You also need to ask about jaw and tongue claudication. What is jaw claudication? Well, if you think about it in the same way as you think about angina, angina is chest pain that comes on when someone exerts themselves It doesn't happen at rest. It comes on after they exert themselves for a a certain distance or a certain period of time, and then it stays there, and then it goes away when the patient rests. Jaw claudication is similar because it's due to narrowing or inflammation of the blood vessels that supply the muscles of mastication. So the patient won't have jaw pain at rest, but when they start chewing, it will come on a couple or a few seconds later. It will build up, and then when the patient stops chewing, the pain will gradually ease off. And in fact, the pain can be so severe, the patients won't eat and often they'll lose weight because of that. It's a pathonomic clinical feature of GCA. If you can elicit this history accurately, it will be very, very important in the history taking. Then you want to ask about visual symptoms. The visual symptoms can take many different forms. It can be amorosis fugax in one eye. It can be blurring where the patient has a loss of clarity in their field of vision. It can be diplopia, where they'll see two images of the same object. It can be partial or complete. It can be transient or permanent, and it can affect one or both eyes. The other thing you want to ask about is constitutional symptoms, things like fever, weight loss, drenching night sweats, fatigue. Usually patients will report a very severe fatigue with this condition. You also want to ask about polymyalgia symptoms, such as aching, and especially uh, prolonged early morning stiffness in the shoulder and hip girdles. As well as that, because GCA is a large vessel vasculitis, you can have involvement of the blood vessels that supply the limbs. You want to ask about limb claudication, so aching pain in the arms and legs. So that's the history. Something else that you want to touch on in the history, you're just trying to find out if the patient has any symptoms that could point to another explanation, such as, for example, focal infective symptoms. If the patient tells you they're coughing up green phlegm, it might make you think about a pneumonia. If the patient says they've got chorizal symptoms, you might want to think about sinusitis. If the patient has got change in bowel habit, perhaps they could have a malignancy with a space-occupying lesion. These are all things you want to take into account, so a good review of systems is also important. Moving on to examination. When you examine the patient, you want to make sure that you look at the skin very carefully around the area on the scalp. This is often an area where patients can get shingles, which can manifest itself as severe headache and scalp tenderness. You want to look at the temporal arteries. Are they thickened or beaded in their appearance? And then you want to feel the pulse. Are they tender? Is there a pulse there? Is it reduced or absent? Is that symmetrical or is it only on one side? Is the scalp tender in general? And then you want to uh, look for features of large vessel GCA. Do they have asymmetry in the blood pressure between both arms? Is there an asymmetry in the pulses? Do they have bruis that you can auscultate in the supra- and infraclavicular regions? In terms of the visual disturbance in GCA, that can take many forms, as we discussed, but it can be due to involvement of the blood vessels that supply the optic nerve, such as the posterior ciliary artery. That will cause... Anterior ischemic optic neuropathy, which will manifest as a pale swollen disc. The patient can also have a relative afferent papillary defect. If the patient has a central retinal artery occlusion, that also needs fundoscopy to detect. If the patient has involvement of the brainstem or the cranial nerves or the extraocular muscles, they can have diplopia. And sometimes patients can have involvement of the vertebro circulation, which can cause cortical visual loss, such as a homonymous hemianopeus, like a stroke. So when there's visual disturbance, the patients need to be seen by an ophthalmologist who will be able to do a very thorough examination. Okay, in terms of investigations, you want to get some blood tests done. It's very important to to look at everything holistically. So what is the CRP and ESR? Generally speaking, these will be elevated in GCA and PMR. In the literature, you will find occasional case reports of patients who have normal inflammatory markers and biopsy-positive giant cell arthritis. However, these are rare and often the reason the inflammatory markers are normal is because the disease is so early in its development that the inflammatory markers haven't had time to rise. And in fact, if you were to measure the inflammatory markers later on, they would rise. Another thing that you often find is anemia of chronic disease and patients often have a reactive thrombocytosis as well. Once you've done the blood test, you want to look at some investigations that can help to confirm the condition. Temporal artery biopsy is considered the gold standard for diagnosis. The disadvantage of temporal artery biopsy is that patients can have what we call skip lesions, where the inflammation doesn't affect the artery in continuity. That means that patients who have GCA can have a negative temporal artery biopsy. Not everyone with GCA will have involvement of the temporal artery, and it only samples one side, so the patient can have involvement of the other side. The advantage, though, is that if it's positive, it gives you a very secure diagnosis. And it can be positive for around two weeks after starting steroids, which means you have time after starting steroids to organize this investigation. Actually, some people say that it can be positive up to four or even six weeks after starting steroids. But two weeks is the the mantra that we usually go with. More recently, some evidence has emerged that ultrasound, temporal artery ultrasound, is very useful. And we've started using that in Leicester. The temporal artery ultrasound will look at both temporal and auxiliary arteries bilaterally, so you get a broader range of imaging, and what we're looking for there is the halo sign. The halo sign represents inflammation of the vessel wall. The advantage of this is that it's non-invasive. The disadvantage is that it's operator dependent, and there may be some inter-observer variability. Something else that is often used is a PET CT scan. In this, there will be FDG uptake in the inflamed blood vessels. Often you see this in the, in the proximal aorta and its branches. The disadvantage of the PET-CT is that it exposes the patient to a great deal of radiation. Not everywhere has access to it, and it's often difficult to get this scan early on in the disease. Usually by the time you get it, the patient's been on steroids for a while, and that can mask the inflammation. A very strong advantage of this is that it helps to exclude other mimics. For example, it can identify things such as infection and malignancy, which can manifest in a very similar way to GCA. In addition to those investigations that I mentioned, we also recommend getting a chest X-ray and on the blood tests, immunoglobulins. The reason is, patient can be constitutionally unwell, they have myeloma, and they can also have raised ESR and CRP, anemia, and so it's important to, to, to look for that. It's important to look for a, a monoclonal paraprotein. A chest x-ray is is just a a simple, non-invasive way of being able to tell if there's a a malignant or infective process going on. Other investigations will be guided by the clinical picture. For example, you may want to request an anchor, depending on how the patient has presented. Differential diagnoses will be guided by the history and examination as well. But things that we commonly see mimicking GCA are sinusitis, because that will cause headache, pain and tenderness, in the area usually unilateral and raised inflammatory markers but patients often will have a history of chorizal symptoms they may have a upper respiratory tract infection preceding it and the pain usually is worse when they lean forward shingles i, I mentioned before a herpes zoster infection you need to examine the skin very carefully other causes of headaches such as migraine and tension headache could also be there and you may want to involve a neurologist patients can also have for example an anchovasculitis, especially what we call granulomatosis with polyangiitis, that can cause a headache with raised inflammatory markers. In terms of visual disturbance, you want to think about things such as TIA. Sometimes patients can have cervical spine disease, especially osteoarthritis, which can radiate pain into the head and also cause scalp tenderness. In these patients, the inflammatory markers tend to be normal. In patients with jaw claudication, something that can manifest in a similar way is TMJ dysfunction, but that won't generally present with claudication. That's more clicking and pain when the patient opens their mouth. In terms of management, we're, we're all told that we have to start steroids because this is a medical emergency and you have to start when there is clinical suspicion. What's less emphasized is how much steroid to start and that depends on the clinical presentation. If there's visual disturbance, the patient needs an urgent eye review. If the patient has evolving visual loss or amaurosis fugax, you need to start IV-methylprednisolone. If there's no visual disturbance, and the patient has jaw claudication, they need 60 milligrams of prednisolone urgently. Otherwise, patients can be managed with 40 milligrams. These are patients with headache and scalp tenderness. You can give them 40 milligrams of prednisolone. And the regime, it's, it's described very well in the literature, is tapered gradually. And uh, sometimes if patients have a relapse, we have to increase the steroids temporarily. Patients always need stomach and bone protection. And in some patients, you may wish to consider a DEXA scan. The main side effects of steroids that we see are osteoporosis, which is why we give bone protection. Patients can develop cataracts, diabetes, hypertension, weight gain, mood disturbance and psychosis, and skin thinning and steroid purpura. But the steroid side effects tend to be dose-dependent, and as the dose goes down, those side effects tend to become less and less problematic, although every patient is affected differently, and some patients are affected greatly even by low-dose steroids. In patients where the disease is relapsing, I mentioned we increase the steroid dose. Also, we we look to consider medications to help reduce the overall cumulative steroid burden. Usually, that takes the form of methotrexate. Sometimes, we use tocilizumab, which is an IL-6 inhibitor, and we found this to be very effective. So, uh, I think I'll stop there, and I I hope that's a useful overview of GCA. And the main messages to get across are to take a very good history, examine the patient, always think about alternative causes. And if there's any clinical suspicion of GCA, you have to start steroids straight away with no delay. If there's any visual disturbance, they need a very urgent ophthalmology opinion, and then speak to rheumatology. And rheumatology will arrange an urgent review to, to, to guide further management. Thank you very much. Join us next week for a new episode.